In this week's Unconditional Love Stories, we are speaking with Hollywood royalty, a woman who knows the importance of a dog, both on screen and off, film producer Kristen Burr. Kristen has spent all her life in California, growing up without a dog at home. What she lacked in a canine companion, she made up for with her passion for film. It was this love that led her to join Walt Disney in the 1990s, working her way up in the industry and helping to create some of the biggest movies we all know and love. And in the last few years, she's gone out on her own to set up her very own production company. She's not done it alone though. In this episode, we of course talk all things movies, but we also hear how fate took a hand 15 years ago, which led to Kristen finding her four-legged best friend, Roscoe. And we also talk about how life can get really tough as a pet parent when their health takes a turn for the worst. Before we get into it, I just want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by the awesome guys at Front of the Pack. They believe that the love you share with your dog is one of the most positive forces on the planet. That's why they've created a range of science-backed supplements that help your bestie live the best life possible. Be sure to check them out at FOTP.com. Right, let's get back to Hollywood. Lights, camera, action. He's a teddy bear with like slightly enlarged ears. Yes, that stick out and like sort of have a bit of a personality. Some would say almost Disney-like ears. Yeah, well, he does have a little starring role in Cruella. Does he? Wow, of course he does. I mean, it it lasts all of two seconds, but you know, it's still in there. For those looking from the outside in, Kristen says there's a stereotype surrounding Los Angeles that everyone works in film. But for Kristen, this wasn't the case. Her mum worked as a nurse at a hospital in Santa Monica, and their life was far from the glitz and glamour. But one thing that's for sure, like many, she loved movies. We we went to the movies when, you know, blockbuster video became a thing. <laughs> that's what you did on yeah. the weekend. You go to blockbuster video and rent videos. So... We're always watching movies, always watching content. And it wasn't in, really until I went to school that I sort of realized you could do it as a profession. Sure. This was before, obviously, the internet. And I would go to the newspaper and like write down, like if I went to go see a movie, I would go and write down who the director was, who the producer was, who the DP was. Really? Just so I would start to like, in my head, like realize like, oh, that's a director I'd like, or oh, that's a, oh, that DP shot this other movie that I thought was really good. So can you recall, you know, which was your favorite childhood film, a film that really got you excited about potentially having a future career in film? The first movie I remember like loving and, and made me cry was probably The Sound of Music, you know, watching it on TV with my family. You know, movies like that, you know, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, all those sort of like family, but like have real emotional impact. Um, But I remember the first time realizing like what a film was. I think it was probably in high school seeing some cut of something like Raging Bull, you know, Uh, just understanding sort of the difference if you can between a movie and a film. And it was this difference that got Kristen hooked and determined to work in the world of cinema, leading to incredible opportunities, including almost 20 years at the iconic Disney Studios. I wanted to know where it all started. I I worked as an assistant for um, Bradley Thomas and a little bit the Farrelly brothers when we did Kingpin and from Kingpin to something about Mary. 
Wow. I, I love this conversation because there's going to be so many name drops. You might as well get the first one out of the way because something about Mary, what an iconic film. Yeah. Uh, have you ever tried that hairstyle? <laughs> Not intentionally. I'm sure there have been mornings I've woken up where I've looked like that, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have in fairness. And then, you know, moving on and, and seeing the incredible film the 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 list of films is a, it's a catalog of work which uh, i think anyone would be impressed by so sweet home alabama the proposal the prestige i love the new muppets film and i didn't know that you were part of that i loved it so much yeah so. we the second one actually in london the first one was such a labor of love it was really one of the hardest things to get going this is where i say like movies can start anywhere and relationships can start anywhere so uh the actor jason siegel came into my office for what we call a general you know and it's just sort of we meet them and like oh maybe they'd be right for this movie or whatever and he had just he had written sarah marshall it hadn't come out yet Nick Stoller had directed it. And so he came in and we had a new um, president of production at the time. So I um, have always like loved puppets and I've always found them to be sort of truth serum in a weird way. Trying well, puppet to... can say things that a, a person can't. Totally. And so I was trying to get our president to agree to have a staff meeting with just puppets, you know? So I had this big box of puppets in my office. <laughs> oh. And so he, of course, did not see the wisdom in my idea, but Jason came in and saw this box of puppets and we just started talking about it. And he was also like obsessed with puppets and had been obsessed with the Muppets and like came in and said, I want to write the Muppet. I mean, this was like a guy who'd been Judd Apatow. He was sort of an R-rated comedy guy. So I didn't even take him seriously at first. I was like, come on. And then his agent called me after and was like, so what do you think about Jason writing this movie? And I was like, oh, was he serious? <laughs> yeah. But there was another group at Disney who was uh, their job was entirely focused on the Muppets. So there became this really weird internal competition as to who would win getting the first new Muppets movie made. But I was like, well, I've got Jason Siegel and Nick Stoller. And then we added James Bobin, who was like super hot off of Flight of the Concords. Yes. Um, we kept like going, you know, down this road, like, well, it's going to be one of them. And of course, you know, Siegel and Bobin and Stoller were like, what the hell? You know, Kristen, what's going on? But anyway, we kept trudging on and ultimately, you know, got the movie made. It was super fun. And those stories just kept on coming. In fact, we barely scratched the surface of the catalogue of films Kristen has helped produce. But having such a long list of film credits to her name, she is up against a chocobog diary and naturally spends a lot of time away from home. It was this that meant that Kristen had just assumed becoming a pet parent wouldn't be possible with her hectic schedule, despite loving dogs her entire life. But then everything changed when serendipity took a hand 15 years ago. I lived in an area of Los Angeles that the power would go out a lot due to weather, due to people using air conditioning, central air units. And it was one of those really hot summer days and, uh, and the AC went out. And so I decided to meet a friend at a movie theater, hoping that it would come back on in a, by the time I got home. It was this, you know, warm but nice Sunday afternoon. So I decided I was gonna walk and I was sitting in front of the theater waiting for him. And um, I see this thing that I thought was a bunny rabbit, to be honest, because it was hopping. 
and just seemed really joyful. And because it was so tiny, people were like accidentally bumping into it and, and he would just sort of fall over and just get back up and keep hopping. So I went over and picked it up and it was this little tiny dog who fit in the palm of my hand. And I didn't know what it was, but I thought he's got to be somebody's dog. He looks expensive, you know, but nobody, nobody was there. It was probably 40 minutes later, um, this young uh, man who I believe was homeless claimed that this was his dog, but that he would be willing to sell him. Oh. Yeah. And so I didn't know if it was true or not, but I Mm. obviously didn't want to give this dog to this man. And I said, well, what's his name? And he said, Roscoe. And we were also coincidentally right near Roscoe's chicken and waffles. So maybe his name was Roscoe. Maybe this guy used this as an opportunity. I don't know, but I went to the ATM and gave him some money and um, called my boss at the time and said, can I bring a dog into work tomorrow? That's That's how it began. I always thought I shouldn't get a dog, even though I've always loved dogs and would always like babysit friends' dogs and that sort of thing. Um, But then this dog just sort of, as I said, fell upon me. I wasn't supposed to be there. If I'd driven, I don't know if I would have come in through that way. And so there were just lots of elements that had to add up that I would find him, you know? And so I felt like it was meant to be. Incredibly serendipitous. So Kristen had to make it work and naturally had to become quite clever with her newfound responsibility. I worked at Disney and dogs are not allowed. And so I would sneak Roscoe into work every day for at least a year. (laughs) (laughs) They thought he was a prop probably. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as a result, he became very well behaved around people. He would just stay in his bed. He was very calm. There were a couple of close calls, you know, we'd sneak him out to go to the bathroom and that sort of thing. But for the most part, you know, he just loved it because he got constant attention from people. Having worked her way up at Disney over two decades and establishing herself as one of Hollywood's top film producers, Kristen decided to take the plunge and set up her own production company, Burr Productions. It brought her to London back in 2019 to make Jingle Jangle for Netflix and then Cruella, the prequel to 101 Dalmatians. (laughs) Kristen told me that it was quite the movie to produce with so many dogs on set. And it was amazing that all the dogs were rescue dogs who distracted the majority of the crew at every opportunity. They were also rehomed after the film, which I love. Knowing she'd be in the UK for a while, she packed her bags and naturally brought Roscoe with her. After all, he'd be great company on Cruella. He even had a starring role, well, a cameo at least. But by this point, he's 13 and problems with his health begin to show. Gastrointestinal issues led a vet to tentatively diagnose him with pancreatitis, but suggested getting another opinion. After several visits to various practices, the word you never want to hear was uttered, cancer. With no black and white diagnosis, Kristen and Roscoe were referred to me through a friend, fellow film producer, John DeLuca, to see if we could find out what was wrong. The news was a crippling blow for Kristen. 
I think it was because it was so shocking. He had been fine. When I was in LA, we were going on hikes every day. He was this dog who hadn't had anything. And all of a sudden, I mean, they were basically saying to me, he may have days or weeks. There was no treatment. There was like, there was nothing. And so, I mean, his life became about burgers and, and, <laughs> you know, it was just like constantly trying to make him feel better and enjoy his time he had left. It was a really challenging time, I think, you know, seeing how hard you work, I think people would underestimate how, I think a lot of people think with the film industry, oh, it's all glamour and glitzy, but the people behind the scenes, my goodness me, the hours that you would work, young lady, like it was outrageous. There are a lot and, of hours. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to, trying to deal emotionally and practically with a 13 year old dog that we've just diagnosed with inoperable exocrine pancreatic uh, carcinoma. It's, uh, and th that was some tough information that I had to deliver to you. Yeah. I mean, it was the worst, um, but I was just determined at the time to give him the best time he could have left. And what is great about Roscoe is his favorite thing is to be around people. So sort of being on a film set or, you know, being at the production office, that was like his favorite thing. And if you recall, you didn't actually do the um, surgery until I think September. And every once in a while for some work thing or whatever, I had to go out of town for a couple of days. And I wanted to like leave Roscoe with somebody in case something happened, who would be able to, you know, know what to do. Um, and so your assistant, like, offered to like watch him. And so he came into the office, you know, unscheduled and you saw me and you called me and you were like, I don't know, he looks pretty good. Like he should yeah. be dead, you know? No. Hopefully <laughs> I wasn't as, as, as unsubtle as that, but I can't promise anything. Um, yeah. But I- No, I, but that was sort of, you're like, you were surprised. And so that's what shocked. made you actually want to do the biopsy because you were just like, is to, he doesn't look like a dog who's sick. Obviously we went through that process and um, you know, I, I saw the tumor with my own eyes and I could see immediately it was not something nice. So there was just yeah. no chance of being able to remove it. The following weeks were quite lovely for us, if I'm honest, because as you've already said, uh, Roscoe's quite the hit uh, with pretty much everyone he meets. And he did in fact then spend quite a lot of time uh, living at the house of my head nurse, Sam, and her partner. And he would come into the practice pretty much every day. And we had Roscoe with us for a number of weeks. Um, he, it was like such a ray of sunshine and, and such an incredible insight for, for me as a vet to be able to, you know, live and work alongside a patient who we've just treated for cancer and so it allowed me to very intimately understand him understand his moods uh we managed to get him on a good medication protocol we knew we couldn't use chemotherapy and that sort of jettisoned him to the point where he is now you went back to the states in november of 2019 i honestly thought that maybe i'll hear from Kristen come christmas i kept sort of texting every now and again because all of my team heartbroken that you'd all gone home we fell absolutely head over heels for that little fluff ball and we honestly did think you know if he makes christmas gee we're going to be so happy and yeah. here we are a year and a bit later two christmases later and he's still 
going? What yeah. have you done to this dog? What magic dust have you brought from Hollywood? I, I, well, you know, I have no idea. Kristen went back to the States just as Roscoe was put on palliative or end-of-life care in the form of steroids. It was to make sure that he had a good quality of life, but they were never intended for long-term use. After a few scares and trips to the vets back in LA, it became apparent that the tumour hadn't grown. And then a miracle happened. I had to go out of town for uh, this movie that we shot in Budapest in Croatia, and they had um, a quarantine for the dog, so I didn't want to bring Roscoe. And also I had now was putting him in physical therapy twice a week, so he goes in, gets um, acupuncture, and... <laughs> <laughs> and does that little underwater treadmill and all that sort of stuff to help so strengthen. I mean, this dog... like it's so great if you can if you can afford to shower it on the one thing in your life that you love more than anything else. Why not? Why wouldn't you? You know. And he loves it, and now he just loves going there because they everyone there loves him, and so you know he gets little massages, and you know he has to do a little working out. And then I had to go to Budapest, and so he stayed with my mom and her best friend, and they're like retired nurses and they completely weaned, weaned him off of all of those medications. And at his last scan in October, they couldn't see the tumor. It's, and I just have no answer for that. It is so unbelievable. I don't know, it might be back. I've got to take him again in a couple of weeks, you know? Maybe and not, you know, I mean, you obviously are a formidable character and you have put so much life force and energy into into that dog is there something to be said about positive mental attitude in this case i've been accused so many times of people thinking that i didn't think he had can't like not believing diagnoses but it wasn't that it was like you know as i took him to i came back to la and so then i took him to a cancer specialist here that had been recommended you know because i was like well maybe they'll have a different that they will offer up different medications you know because i knew at the time I couldn't keep him on steroids forever. And the first thing that the doctor said to me was, this dog doesn't look like he has cancer and he doesn't mm -hmm. act like he has cancer. Even you, when you first met him, you said, okay, it's going to be a couple of weeks. Then months later, you saw him again and you thought, this is not right. This is yeah. not normal. Not the so, way these things only go. I thought he was going to die so many times now in this last year and a half. And, you know, I keep setting up these landmarks for him. And, you know, I'm like, Roscoe, you just have to make it to the Cruella premiere so you can take your bow for your little one and a half second on screen where it's ladies who like poodles and he's holding a poodle. You know? I love it. And, and on his, and on his uh, 15th birthday to be able to say, hey. Yeah. Finally got into a Hollywood film. I almost wonder if after 20 years of working for Disney and living in a Hollywood world, if somehow you've brought this sort of sprinkle of magic in this situation where you're like, my dog doesn't have cancer. And despite everyone around me telling me it doesn't have cancer, he seems to still be living. And I just wonder if he is he is your, your Hollywood film, you know, leading man uh, personified. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you do work at Disney for 20 years, it's a little known fact that you get a pouch of pixie dust that oh, you can really sprinkle on people. None of us can explain it. And so, um, but I will just accept wonderful. it. Enjoy oh. it. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Whether it comes back or not, you know, we're going to enjoy the time we have. And he seems happy. He still keeps well, going. He still keeps going. It's been the most remarkable journey for Roscoe. 
but as well as dealing with the fact that the cancer would potentially cut his life short, while also being 15 years old, Kristen had to have those heartbreaking discussions with herself in preparation for the time when she must say goodbye. My plan was to, you know, have everybody outside somewhere, but have him surrounded by people. I'm going to cry. Um, Betty Love. Yeah. It's a sad reality for many pet parents that one day you will have to say goodbye to the animal that you just can't bear to be without. It can feel really lonely and often there's an element of guilt that goes along with that, that you just can't shake off as you hold so much responsibility for your canine companion's health and ultimately making the decision to say goodbye. But there is help out there. Khalil Sakakini is an ordained animal chaplain and pet loss counselor who actually helps humans navigate difficult decisions and deal with grief. He set up his company Animal Talk so everyone can access a safe space to talk about their animals, the bond created, and feelings of loss. I spoke with him with Kristen's scenario in mind. I think they have to do whatever they have to do in preparation. What is the procedure like? Um, who will be with me, friends, family to come with me? What supports group do I have afterwards? Family, will they come by? What will, I, what will my last days be like? The more that it can be thought through, which unfortunately often can't be because it happens suddenly sometimes. If you have the grace period to work through some of these things and talk it through with a counselor or your best friend, that helps. It's not a panacea but it takes some of the shock away. So I would say work it through. I ask the questions, talk to you about what to expect. Should my children be there? Should a child be there? Uh, will you as Dr. Scott leave a rose on the table when the euthanasia is over? Will you make a gesture of sympathy? How long will you be available after the fact? Because there are always questions two, three weeks, a month later. Yep, definitely. And so many people are afraid to call and ask and say, well, why did you do this? How can, will you be available? Find that out before you go. You cannot fix grief. It's not a mental health issue. And people always look for a therapist because the pain is unbearable. There's no pill for sadness. They're, a broken heart's not a mental health issue. What is it? It's a spiritual issue. It comes from a profound separation from the one being that you love with all your heart and the fear that you will never ever be in touch or in communication again. Death does not end the relationship. Death does not end the communication. Death does not end the ability to talk, write, be in touch. You will have that relationship and that feeling for the rest of your life. It takes work to transition from a relationship with the physical being to a relationship now with the memory and the being now dwelling in spirit. But that's the first step, that the relationship is not gone. What, what role has Roscoe played in your life? 
Oh, I mean, he's just the constant joy. Um, it, what's funny about Roscoe and why I think partly he's not a, I mean, I'm, I feel like such an idiot. He's not a typical dog. I'm sure everyone thinks that about their dog. But there's a stereotype of a dog who's waiting by the door to give you kisses when you come home. And Roscoe does it sometimes, but mostly he just ignores you and acts like he doesn't care. So when you get a kiss from him, it's so much more meaningful, you know? <laughs> One thing I wanted to, have to ask you is you did mention to me that you thought that he was gay. Is that is that still right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's because my best friend, Christine, she has a dog named Murphy. And look, that look, I can see Roscoe, his ears are pricked up. Look, Murphy. Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> he has still got a, a wiggle in his tail for Murph. Nice. Oh, we loved Murphy. And so, you know, what I was saying about Roscoe not being the most affectionate dog, that is the exact opposite with Murphy. Every single time Roscoe would see Murphy, he would jump on, like Murphy's a big sort of German shepherd mix. Right. Um, and Roscoe would jump up to his mouth over and over again, kissing him. Like every single time he yeah. loved Murphy and Murphy's a boy. So love, love is love, love, right? Love Roscoe. is love. That's right. Love is love, especially when it comes to Roscoe. And I, for one, am desperate to see the day where I can give that little teddy bear a hug again. But it seems there's a far more self-indulgent reason Roscoe will be itching to get back to London. One of the things we also like to get him groomed all the time. And when he was diagnosed, he like enjoys massage. So they had this thing called the blueberry facial at this place in Notting Hill where I was living. And so I would get him, you know, the blueberry facial every week. <laughs> and it was this place called the Purple Bone. And they still like contact me to check up on him. So there's so many things wrong with that story, but it's, it's fantastically wonderful. Five pounds for a blueberry facial, but it was like you would see them massaging his face and he would be like in ecstasy. Said, <laughs> and I would say only in Hollywood, but it was in Notting Hill, London. It was in Notting Hill. You can take the dog out of Hollywood, but you can't take Hollywood out of the dog. It's undeniable that Kristen adores Roscoe. I mean, just listen to the level of pampering. But even a dog who starred in a Hollywood film can't be perfect. And there is always something that gets our goat about our four-legged friends. So I asked Kristen for her Roscoe-inspired pet peeve. Well, my dog, as I said, he's, you know, the best dog, obviously. But he's also a very smart dog. Um, you know, uh, he will, I mean, as much as he, like, loves Murphy, for example, he has figured out how to steal Murphy's treats. So he will run to the door and bark when there's no one there. And then Murphy will think someone's at the door and run and bark and drop his treat. And Roscoe will take his treat and go and hide underneath the coffee table. Wow. He's so, the evil genius. That's amazing. And so sometimes when he's mad at me, like he doesn't like his, his one issue is he doesn't like to be left alone, but you know, that can't, like, it's impossible to not sometimes leave your dog at home alone. And so if he particularly is upset about it, he has been known to leave me a surprise in the house, even though he oh. has a back door. Oh, wow. Like purpose. And, you know, because I'll come home and see it and I'll say, Roscoe, and then he'll like see me see it and run. <laughs> and, and, and and by present, well, we, we're talking like a poo protest. Is this is what yeah. we're right. He'll do a poo protest. Yeah. It's not an accident. It's in the opposite direction of the doggy door. You know, it's like, it's not... 
like, oh, he couldn't help it. You know, it's not, it's not like that. It's completely intentional. What a journey for such a wonderful pair. Hollywood should make a film about Roscoe and his story. Actually, I know a production company I might be able to approach. I do hope that you enjoyed this week's episode with the super talented Kristen Burr. As always, a big thanks to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show, and of course, Front of the Pack for making this show possible. You can learn all about their incredible range of dog supplements by heading to FOTP.com. If you enjoyed this show and you've got an extra 20 seconds before your dog needs their dinner, then please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. It's always great to hear what you think and what you'd like to help us sculpt future episodes. And also it helps other like-minded doggy people to hear about us too. If you're hanging out with a canine superstar in your life, or maybe giving them a weekly blueberry facial, take a moment to tell them just how much you love them. Don't be shy. They'll definitely appreciate it. Speak to you next time. Roscoe was not super excited to be a Hollywood star. He was, it was sort of forced to, forced upon him. Yeah. Um, so I think that was probably his one and only uh, cameo. I know I just woke him up so you could see him. So he's a little groggy. He's still so cute. I love those ears. They're just amazing. <laughs>